The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. We're glad that you're here. We're uh, in a series of lessons called Preaching from the Poets, where we're looking at biblical themes and modern music. If you got a handout this morning, then you have a copy of the song that we're looking at, and, and you can see that in front of you. If not, that's okay. We're going to be picking out a couple lyrics from that song as we move through today's lesson. And I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. If you're ever with a group of preachers and you want to uh, strike up a conversation, ask them about you too. I think that there are a higher number of U2 fans among preachers than any other group, and, and I've experienced this time and time again. I've been to preaching conferences or other gatherings where preachers are present, and it's never unusual for the conversation to turn to U2 at some point. Uh, for those of you who don't know, U2 is an Irish rock band that formed in the late 70s but really became popular in the 80s. And they are beloved by preachers because their lyrics are full of biblical references. Um, they are a band who speaks openly about their faith, and they strive to make a difference in the world. They are involved in many humanitarian efforts, especially in Africa. And the song that we're looking at this morning is One. If you're not a rock fan, then this song has been covered by Johnny Cash. You can get online and hear Johnny Cash sing it. If you're an R&B fan, it's been covered by... Mary J. Blige, and so it's, it's been covered by many people. But it was originally released in 1991, and it comes from probably their darkest album. And you can hear some of the darkness in the lyrics to this song. Much of the song is about conflict and turmoil. It was written during a difficult time for the band. It's a very poetic song, and because of this, it has been misinterpreted over the years. It's been used at many weddings, and yet it could very easily be describing a relationship that is in real trouble. Um, with some songs and poems, it is important that we do not dissect them too much. Uh, this is a song that describes the fallen world in which we live in. Evil exists, sin exists, hatred exists, pride exists. And people do not always get along. The conflict described in this song could refer to many different situations. It could be a personal relationship. It could be conflict within the church. It could be something like the conflict we have seen recently in our country. We see conflict on the news. We see it on Facebook. We see it on social media. It's everywhere. And that sometimes causes us to ask the question that opens the song. Is it getting any better? We sometimes look around at what's going on in the world, and we want to know, is it getting any better? We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to know if our prayers are being answered. And some days, it seems more like we're going backwards than forwards. Uh, the recent events in our country have been compared to 1968. Last week, tragedy struck Nice, France. 
an uprising occurred in Turkey. And it seems like every time that you turn on the television, there's something new to mourn in our world. Well, from the cross, Jesus offered a prayer of lament that is found in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. We know that God had not left. We know that, that God was on the cross reconciling the world to himself. God was at work in the darkness that seemed to be taking over on Calvary. Yet the people around did not know this. To to look at what was taking place, it seemed as if God had forsaken them. And sometimes we wonder the same thing. We ask ourselves, is it getting any better? On the good days, we can say yes. But then there are other days where it seems as if we're going in reverse. A second question is raised in the second line of the song. Will it make it any easier on you? Now you've got someone to blame. And we know that when things go south, people look for someone or something to blame. If you listen to political pundits, the ones on the right are always blaming the ones on the left, and the ones on the left are always blaming the ones on the right. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, that's just true every single day. Um, They're going to find some kind of angle. They're going to cast blame. Husbands and wives sometimes experience this on a more personal level. When spouses argue, things can quickly get heated and they begin to blame one another. And blame is lethal. It destroys. It never leads to reconciliation. And yet it happens all the time. Uh, it can make us feel good to have someone to blame. But that's not what the song asks. It asks, will it make it any easier on you? And the answer to that question is no. No. Blame never makes any situation easier. It makes tensions rise. It creates turmoil. And it is often used to avoid the real issues that need to be addressed. As the song continues, other problems are pointed out. Whatever situation is being described, there is a lack of love. You act like you never had love and you want me to go without. There can be no unity without love. Love is the glue that holds so many things together. Marriage is founded upon love. The church is supposed to have love at its center. A family needs love if it's going to survive. And so wherever there is a lack of love, problems arise, problems exist. Well, as conflict and problems can continue to be described throughout the song, there are hints at what the answer is to resolving these issues. We're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other, carry each other, one. And so the song recognizes that people are different. 
Sometimes we're quite different. And this in and of itself can cause problems. And yet it's something that we have to deal with. In every single letter that Paul writes, he addresses some kind of conflict. And this is simply the nature of a group of people coming together. People are not always going to see eye to eye. They're going to have different ways of seeing the world. They're going to have different personalities, different talents. And I want you to notice what Paul writes in Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. Very similar to what Bobby read in 1 Corinthians. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. The difficulty of living together as the body of Christ is that we are different. And yet, we are called to be one. We are to be united. In Romans 12, Paul is, dif- uh, is uh, uh, describing the different functions and talents that are present in this congregation. And so each of us has things that we're good at and things that we're not good at. And this seems to be non-controversial, but it can quickly turn into a problem. In fact, this is the point of contention at Corinth. Some people thought that their gifts and their talents were more important than others. And there were some people that, that were jealous of others because they had talents and gifts that they did not have. And the church was divided because they were bickering over gifts and talents. It doesn't take much for division to erupt and to take over. And here's something that we need to understand. Unity is hard work. It's easier to be divided than it is to be united. Really, it doesn't take any effort at all to be divided. Uh, Division often happens for no good reason at all. One person doesn't like another person. They rub them the wrong way. They, they don't like how they laugh. They don't like how they look. They're, they're annoyed for some reason. And so it's not unusual for a relationship to begin from a place of disunity, from a place of division. We often make judgments before we get to know someone. Unity is difficult. There are many obstacles a group must overcome in order to achieve unity. Consider uh, Paul's famous passage on unity from uh, Ephesians 4. And when we read this, we often reflect on the seven ones in in verses 4 through 6. But it's very important that we pay attention to Paul's plea for unity in verses 1 through 3. Because it's here where he mentions the things that we must do in order to maintain this unity. And so he writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
Unity doesn't just happen. Paul says there are some things that you need, some things that you must have. Humility, gentleness, patience, love. Uh, You need a desire to maintain the unity. And if you don't have these things, then you're not going to have unity. It's not knowledge that makes unity uh, possible. Paul doesn't say, you know, agree on all these doctrines and then you're going to have unity. Now, doctrine is important. And there are some things that, that we absolutely have to agree on. But unity is maintained by how we treat one another. A congregation can agree on all the right doctrines and still be divided. Unity is formed when we count others' needs more significant than our own. It comes when we listen before we speak. And when we always assume the best of others. It comes when we are patient instead of rushing to judgment. It comes when we choose to be peacemakers and when we bear the burdens of others. This is the path to unity. Paul expounds upon these characteristics in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. He writes there, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so Paul mentions some of the same qualities in Ephesians 4, humility, patience, and love. But he goes a little bit further and and he talks about these qualities and he mentions a few that he didn't mention in Ephesians In between bearing with one another and love, Paul mentions forgiveness. If a congregation, a marriage, any group who wants to last, um, if they want to, to continue on, then they must practice forgiveness. Human beings sin. I don't know if you know that or not, but but we do. We all make mistakes. And you cannot do life together without stepping on someone's toes from time to time. And so every relationship, every community must practice forgiveness. And Paul gives us the basis for forgiveness. We are to practice it because we have been forgiven by God. And so because God has forgiven, we are to forgive others. And all these qualities are important, but there is one that is more important than all the others. It's love. And so Paul says, above all these, put on love. Why? Because it binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so love is that that glue that holds us together. And it doesn't matter how many things that you agree upon. Without love, there cannot be unity. Well, as you listen to U2's one, the the song builds and, and builds by describing a fallen world where there is little or no unity, 
People are at each other's throats. Forgiveness is absent. Love has disappeared. We hurt each other. And then we do it again. And this describes the world that we live in. And sometimes it even describes our relationships with uh, the people we love. Sometimes even the church. And finally, the song ends with a climatic call to love and sacrifice. One love, one blood, one life. You got to do what you should. One life with each other. Sisters, brothers. One life, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. Carry each other. One. We're not the same. And we never will be. But we only have one life and we have to do what we should. We are not the same. But we all have the one blood running through our veins. We all bleed red. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve. We're all created in the image of God. We're not the same, but we live together on this earth. And we must share this this time and space. And we must recognize that God has placed us side by side and we must learn to get along. We're not the same, but we're sisters. We're brothers. We are God's children. And that's more important than any differences we may have. It trumps race. It trumps politics. It trumps anything that that might stand between us. We are family through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are family, and family does not give up on one another. We're not the same. But we get to carry each other. We get to carry each other, and this is grace. This is a blessing. This is law. And it's important that we pay attention to the exact words used here. It does not say we have to carry each other or that we must carry each other. Those are true statements. If we're going to have unity, if we're going to be a family, then then we must do those things. But that's not the point. What we do for one another is not a burden. It is a blessing. It is a privilege to help someone in their time of need. According to Matthew 25, we find Jesus in the face of the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the prisoner, the downtrodden. We encounter God when we are given an opportunity to serve. We get to carry each other. This is a song with a beautiful Christian message. It's an important message for spouses and families. It's a message that our country needs to hear. But most importantly, it's a message for the church. The sentiment that's expressed in the last few lines of the song is the same sentiment expressed by the Apostle Paul in his letters. 
We are different, but we are one. We are united in Christ, and it is up to each of us to carry each other. Now, we cannot control how the world treats one another, but we have a say in how we treat one another. And so may we follow in the footsteps of Jesus by committing to to carry one another whenever the opportunity arises. And may the world see in us a united people who are bound together by love. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you this time when there's much division and, and turmoil in the world, in our country. Um, some of us may even be experiencing turmoil in our personal lives. And we're thankful for these reminders that unity demands sacrifice, that unity comes with a cost, and that love means action. That we, this is something we have to commit to doing every single day. And Father, we pray for your help. And we pray that it begins right here among us, that we pray that the world will be able to see your people and how they are unified and how they love one another and how they care for one another and that they will learn from us and that they will want to be a part of this wonderful community that is united through Jesus Christ and united on the principle of love. We're so thankful for Jesus who came to this earth and and showed us this way of living. We pray these things in his name. Amen.